everybody, and welcome back to the Wayward Dragons. Uh, this is actually a re-recording because, you know, as <laughs> you guys have, I'm sure, have noted that our episode has not been put up yet. Uh, the yeah. usual equ- uh, equipment—I don't—I don't know what to call it—program that we use uh, kind of stopped recording yeah. me about. What do you say? <laughs> Twenty. Yeah, about like a third 25 of the way through. minutes in. Yeah, about yeah. a third of the way through. So, yeah. you know, uh, we kind of have to re-record. Yeah, yeah, oh. it pissed me off so much. <laughs> so <are> you, <laughs> I saw that. So we're using a new program uh, that will hopefully yeah. work better. Fingers crossed. Yeah. Fingers crossed. So, I'm uh, hoping. If we have any new listeners, one, welcome, two, this is actually the second part in a two-part episode, so you might want to listen to the episode before this first. Yeah. I mean, if you don't, you'll still get what's going on, but it'll help make sense. Right. And, uh, you know, if you're just tuning in, we're just two nerds with different areas of interest expertise but a lot of it overlaps in the occult and we've been friends for over a decade now so we figured we'd yeah you know share our nerdiness with all of you and as we learn new things you can learn with us yeah and listen to all of our stupid ramblings (laughs) yeah yeah for sure for sure so i'm johnny and i'm kelsey and welcome what have you been reading? Um, so... Do you remember? <laughs> yeah, l- let me pull up my good read. So I did four books. Um, number one is The Fay Keeper by H.E. Edgman. It's the second book in a duility, I guess that's what you call it, when there's two books instead of a trilogy, a duility. I don't know. Um, but it's a... <laughs> It's an urban fantasy series. It's extremely queer positive and freaking awesome. Uh, nice. Yeah. It has to do with witches and the fae and all sorts of other creatures and fun stuff. Uh, intrigue, yeah. murder, and... Murder and mayhem. Yeah, murder and mayhem. And to steal the crown um, other than mm. that I read the uh, book series for the three, three body problem which is the three body problem the dark forest and death's end these are originally Chinese they were translated into English because while I do know some Chinese I don't know enough to read books in Chinese uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but they are fairly interesting books they it's a slow start in the first book then it just kind of delves into it and it just kind of sucks you in the premise is uh earth making contact with another planet and because of certain situations on the other planet and on earth uh there's a whole thing with Earth prepping for an alien invasion that won't happen for 450 years. 
but because of the aliens, Earth technology is halted, and so, you know, Earth has to work off theories that we already have and the technology we already have to maximize what can be done to defend Earth. Hmm. And hmm. just kind of goes south from there. It's a bunch of different time skips because, you know, when you can throw characters in cryostasis and let them sleep for a hundred years. <laughs> and my cat is trying to eat my eggs. Nope, you don't get eggs. I'm mad at you. No. A meanie face. But it's okay. I still love her. <laughs> Um, so what about you? What have you been reading and entertaining us? Oh. Well, my dad has informed me that we now have baby goats. Um, his one female goat accidentally got pregnant. Um, so, yeah, we got some baby goats. So how funny looking yeah. are they? Because, I mean, you said it was the full-size mama <laughs> and then, like, the pygmy. <laughs> Yeah, so they're still kind of small. Um, they've hit the stage where we're, like, running around and doing, like... Goat stuff? Like, goat parkour. You know what I'm talking about? Where they, like, run around and jump. Yep. Um, so they're starting to do that. Um, but they look really cute. Still. They're still, like... I think they're less than a week still. Um, and then my dad's other cat's pregnant. So, <laughs> more kittens because I'm only getting one so but um shit I can't remember if I included that one in the last one so I remember I read The Suffering by Rin Capino um he does a kind of series that's a different take on the legend of um the girl from the ring so it, it it the characters like the girl from the ring with her like hair all forward and she comes out of a well and stuff well the uh um, the creature the ghost creature thingy yeah let me look uh but it's like his take on that because like she kind of attaches herself to a living person and then they like fight um let's say fight seek revenge on people i guess would be the right words it's super scary to listen to who about jumped out of my skin a couple of times i'm trying to remember what the name of the creature is uh cuz he calls her key but that's cuz that's her name Okeku is the name of the spirit in the book, and he calls her Ki. But it's interesting. I like the first one. Because in the first one, the boy that she attaches herself to, um, his mom <laughs> trapped a demon inside his body. <laughs> and, like, with tattoos that bound the the demon in him and it's basically like that one's about her saving him and the second one is they have a friend that takes American tourists into the suicide forest and they get lost and they 
go in to find her and it's a weird dynamic between Okeku and the boy. Yeah. And then... I looked and I couldn't find the actual name of the spirit and it's going to drive me freaking crazy. So if I just <laughs> randomly shout it out later in the episode, <laughs> it's like a random Japanese word and that's what it is. Uh, <laughs> I, because I can't figure it out and you know me with mythology and stuff. It's Yeah. You got to figure out the name. Yeah. Um, I read The I-5 Killer by Ann Rule. That obviously follows the court proceeding in the investigation of the I-5 killer that happened when late 90s, early 2000s. Hey, um, uh, real quick. Ha. It's a yuri. Yuri. Okay. Yuri. It's uh, Y. If you spell it in English, it's Y-U-R-E-I. Yuri. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, that's yeah, the, but it, it's his take on that, yeah. I guess. It's the same, uh, so, obviously the ring, or the Japanese, the ringu, and then the grudge movies, it's the same kind of spirit. Yeah. Yeah, seeks vengeance. Um, vengeance. That's the next book I read was Vengeance by Gail Z. Martin. That's part of a series um, the Darkhurst series that she's got going on. Basically, it's two brothers, well, three brothers that Apollo, I swear to Jesus, I'm going to hurt you. Um, but Vengeance, or, um, the Darkhurst series, it follows three brothers, and I've noticed with Gailsey Martin, it's, she has a, um, like necromancer undertone so the main character is going to have some form of like necromancy power in this series um the brothers have what they call grave magic so they let they are undertakers and they help souls pass on and there's certain things that you have to do to help the soul pass on and but they find out that the monsters that are in the city are controlled by the prince and we're going to overthrow the government and become outlaws. And it, it follows their tale about how they kind of put everything together of what's happening in Ravenwood and all the other kingdoms. Um, and then she has another series, um, it's called Deadly Curiosities, and I love this series, and they're short stories. They're real quick to read. Um, I read her fourth and fifth one, The Inheritance and the Legacy. Um, basically, Cassidy is a psychometric, which means that she can read the energy off of objects. And she runs an antique shop <laughs> with her business partner, who's a vampire. 600-year-old vampire. And it is their mission, along with their best friend, has weaver magic to take bad relics out of the population so that no one gets hurt um but it follows like their supernatural paranormal adventures um and saving the world <laughs> so the last one was about a um a genie and they trapped a genie 
It was a Korean version of a genie. Um, to use as a battery, basically, to keep this sea witch bound <laughs> so people would stop dying in, like, the Charleston coast. <laughs> it, yeah. <laughs> and then, I'll yeah, show you this Yeah, I got earlier. nothing on that. <laughs> I know. It's a weird one. They're, like, nice reads. Like, it's like a palate cleanser, if that makes any sense. Um, but we've said this before. We are huge fans of um, Ask a Mortician YouTube channel. And if you did not know, she actually has three books. Um, I'm currently listening to If um, Smoke Gets in Your Eyes. It's her stories of um, her lessons from the crematorium that she worked at. So... That one's actually kind of interesting, especially now that my grandma's gone. Like, it takes a whole different perspective. And it, it, she does tell, like, gruesome stories. So if you don't have a good stomach, please don't. I'm going to send you this picture of what I'm dealing with right now with the cat. <laughs> Is she just, like, sitting there? What is she doing? Oh, she's acting cute, though. <laughs> she's being cute. I'll give her credit. She's, she's trying. She's being cute. She's trying. She's trying. She's like, I'm sorry for what I did earlier. That's what she's doing. It was yesterday. Yeah, she's trying to apologize. But we're going to get into Is that a, Are you wearing two. a Scooby-Doo shirt? Yeah! Mystery Machine and it's got... I, I saw the SD, and I'm like, really? Really, Kels? <laughs> so, my dad had... <laughs> One of my dad's dogs, his name is Scooby. <laughs> he looks like Scrappy-Doo. <laughs> so, I've got, like, a couple t-shirts. So, like, when I go down to visit my dad, I wear my Scooby-Doo t-shirts. And then hold the dog and go, look at you! <laughs> He's my favorite. He's so stupid looking. <laughs> He's my favorite. But yes, I have, I'm wearing a mystery machine. It's from um, Boxed Lunch. Yeah, I think it's from their men's department. I don't even know. Because I do wear men's t-shirts. So, because I like having sleeves. That's one thing of women's fashion I don't understand. Why does my sleeve have to stop literally right at my shoulder? I don't understand. <laughs> well, to quote a very famous voice actor slash D&D player, sleeves are bullshit. I, I just want sleeves. <laughs> like, I have fair skin. Give me a fucking sleeve. But, yeah. Pretty sure this is from the men's department. I don't know. I can eh, work the tag out, too. Clothing doesn't have gender. It's okay. <laughs> I know. I know. Um, but in the, what we, like we said earlier, this is the second part. So in the first episode, we talked about, um, Victorian death and how it was viewed in art, um, what they saw as omens. We talked a little bit about morning clothes, how they had a lot of times for, um, grief. 
and things like that. So in this episode, we're going to talk about how Victorians changed how we want to do funerals um, and some of the ways that they grieved their dead. And to forewarn you, if you do not like puns, you will probably not enjoy this podcast. <laughs> yeah, just keep going. Um, <laughs> just keep going. I deal with this in my day, in my life all the time. Well, that's because you're um, a partner. Yeah. <laughs> and my brother. Yeah. God love him. Um, so during the Victorian era, era um, people were very religious. Um, I we're w- not going to go like... Huh? I would say you got that right. It is the Victorian error because... <laughs> Most of the Victorian era is just... It's crazy. <laughs> Some of the fashion like, was I'm... cool, but that's about it. Yeah. It's... That's about it. The, the, the whole time period's problematic. Like, I'm reading... So, I'm so, like, making my way through the Victorian Book of the Dead. Some of these stories are, like, absolutely ridiculous. And that's not to be confused with the Egyptian Book of the Dead. Yeah, No completely separate and I think there's two isn't there two what? Egyptian books of the dead Well, no there's the Egyptian book of life and there's the Egyptian book of the dead okay have you never watched Sorry. the masterpiece that is the 1999 <laughs> uh, the, mummy the mummy starring the incomparable fucking Brandon love Frazier the mummy. fucking love those movies <laughs> That's why I'm like, I'm in my head, I'm like, is there one or is there two? There was... It's two different books. There was one in The Mummy! (laughs) That's a great movie. Um, we're not gonna go completely down the religious rabbit hole, um, but you just need to take into perspective that these people were very religious in a lot of the rituals involving their dead and how they handled their grief was religious based. Um, They wanted their loved ones to have what they saw as a good death because they wanted them to get into heaven. They didn't want them stuck in a purgatory or even worse, get sent to hell. Um, So that meant when you had a good death That meant you died at a slower pace. You had time to say goodbye to everybody. Make sure everything was in order. Um, Make right with God. Say your, you know, Hail Marys and whatever. um, So that you could get into heaven. And by the end of this era, people were like, this is taking too long. And this is very painful. We'd much rather our loved ones go quick and painless. And then we'll kind of figure everything out once, you know, they're gone and stuff. Um, We talked about morning dress kind of as a whole for women Um, in the first episode. We're going to go a little bit more into crepe. That is not the food. It is spelled very similar. Aw, man. Yeah, not the food. Is that Sorry. like the crepe, the crepe <laughs> paper or the creepy paper for all of yeah, our fans out there that watch what we do with the shadows? Yeah. <laughs> um, 
it's spelled this almost the same. It's C R A P E, and then in some places it's spelled literally the exact same, C R E P E. Um, this was something that was typically worn by women. This is a very rough fabric, and it was very expensive. Um, it snagged super easily, and it smelled horrible. The dye would flake off, and it would stain your hands and your face. Um, there's articles in Victorian Book of the Dead of how to refresh, like this, like how to get the stain out and how to refresh it, because um, it constantly needed refreshed. It was made from poison, a lot of poisonous chemicals, but that's just how everything was back then. Um, it weighed a lot and it put a lot of pressure on women's heads because of how, because you have to think this crepes a veil, basically, that like completely covered your face. Um, its purpose was to hide the sorrow of the widow from the world. Um, many widows said that it helped protect them from the scrutiny of society. Um, cause that's, that's one of the things I constantly kind of kept, I keep reading about is if you didn't grieve enough, you were seen as one way. And then if you grieved too much, you were seen as another way. So it's this weird middle that's real small of what's accepted and what's not accepted um, when it comes to grieving for your loved one. Um, they were typically made out of silk, um, or linen, or some, a combination of the two. Um, morning clothes were not made of cotton. Um, it was seen as bad luck if you kept your morning clothes past the morning period, but I'm reading a lot of articles in the Victorian Book of the Dead about people keeping their... Um, morning clothes and kind of lending them out to other people, especially the morning veils um, and stuff like that for women. Um, the best crepe came from um, the mills of Norwich. Um, so for the process, they would basically soak fabric in this liquid glaze called sizing and then they would basically press hot irons on it to give it that like crinkled pattern they wanted it to resemble the folds of the brain um because of the chemical process used to make these veils some doctors did warn their patients about wearing their veil for too long um and to wear like a nun veil or just like a pierce or a silk gauze like type thing for their veil instead because um, doctors were seeing people like their skin would break out they'd have trouble breathing um, they'd have some sensory deprivation issues that worried some doctors so um, they didn't full out like ban their people from their patients from wearing them they did give them like a cautionary tale of, like yo just watch yourself um some women just didn't wear morning clothes in general. They tried to, like, pass uh, white morning clothes instead of black. Did they wear evening clothes instead? <laughs> Shut up. 
So the first time we recorded this, I it took everything I had not to make that joke the entire fucking episode. <laughs> like, like, shut up. I hate you. <laughs> um, there's an article in the book about um, one of the widows um, from the Titanic about how she mainly only wore white instead of black all the time. She did wear black, but she wore white too her husband wanted her to wear white so that was like his request before he went down with the ship was like please wear white too um but so the crepe they would not only like wear it on their face they would put it on door handles and door knockers as a way of saying that there was a death in the household different colors meant different things um, like white meant a child, black meant an adult. Um, but basically, that's how we kind of get black as our morning color. That's why that's like the color go to for when you go to a funeral. Um, so between nine, I was gonna say nineteen. Um, between sixteen sixty six and sixteen eighty, England passed many barrel burial in woolen acts this meant that you had to be buried in at least a shroud made of pure english wool you could not be buried in your birthday suit can go out in the world like you came in sorry everybody um and the shroud meant it means different things depending on where you're at in the world um this could mean like a white sheet um an actual like nightgown or like a suit, um, your wedding dress. So the white sheet thing, is that where we get the ghosts from? Yeah, that's where we get our ghosts from. That's where all like that how that part in like Halloween, um, I think I talked a little bit about it in our Samhain episode. Um, but that's where you start seeing that picture of the ghost with the eye holes in the white sheet. That's where we start getting this from. Um, because you would be buried in a white shroud and you would basically be, it would be gathered at your feet. <laughs> so, it's like a big woolen body bag, basically. Um, but you start seeing women get buried in their wedding gowns. Um, some women make their funeral clothes as part of their, like, um, wedding chest that would come with them when they got married. Um, um, and believe it or not, they start sexualizing women's death clothes. They show you, they give a couple articles, um, about how they advertise the clothes. So basically, the clothes back then were, like, backless. <laughs> they would just tuck it under the side of you, like a, like a weird paper doll outfit. Um... Well, they do something similar now when they bury people is they'll take it and they'll, you know, cut the suit or the outfit up the back and just kind of drape it over you. Yeah. So you're partially naked? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's... I don't understand why you gotta be clothed, but... Especially from, like, the waist down. Half the time we don't even see you from, like, the waist down. Oh, no. When I die, I want to be, like, just... I want to be in the buff. You would. 
<laughs> I just want to be a tree. Um, um, they would weirdly call out barbers. So it was very typical that when a man died, they would, not long after you passed away, they would call a barber out to come shave you before they buried you. Um, but Victorians back then did not understand that when you died, your skin kind of shrinks a little bit. So it looks like your, your hair grew and like your nails grew. It's not what happened. Your skin's like just kind of shrinking back in on itself. Um, but they just didn't understand that. So it was very typical for barbers to come out, uh, twice to shave men before their, um, wakes and before they were actually buried so that the the corpse the loved one looked relatively lifelike this is where we get uh, our corpse look like the the dead the deceased looking lifelike um barbers would also do makeup we start seeing watercolor makeup during this time um and Caitlin Doherty kind of talks about this in her book where we as Americans and our English counterparts, um, we kind of take a weird step back when it comes to death and we, we don't want to face death and what it makes the body look like. Um, and I applaud Caitlin for her green, um funeral home that she runs um she runs it out in california it's in it's for those people to to take back the rituals of death of washing your loved one yourself preparing your loved one yourself stuff like that um because we start to see that kind of not necessarily become taboo during this time but a lot of people kind of step away from that we want to look as lifelike as humanly possible so the makeup starts to happen even though it's watercolor, um, which we still do today. So, still happens. Um, but the Victorians did really change how we do funerals in a major, major way. Um, for a long time, people had wakes in their homes. People got buried in the family cemetery that was on the property. Um, in If people had a wake in their home, it was standard custom, and a lot of people think this is only a southern U.S. thing, um, but you cover your mirrors with a black cloth, and that was so that the spirit of the deceased would not get trapped in the home. Um, mirrors are a gateway, and you want to make sure, or like a, an entrapment, but it can also be seen as a portal, and you want to make sure that your loved one gets to wherever they need to go and they don't get sidetracked. Um... But you start to see coffins that are lined. Um, you also see pillows and coffins start happening. And coffins being built out of everything. Um, people during this time felt that they owed their loved one a great funeral. And no, no expense was to be spared. You went all out. Um, 
And the Civil War in America kind of changes that for us Americans. That's where we start seeing embalming happen. Um, you start to see long trains of carriages filled with mourners. You start to see the hearse. I mean, it's pulled by horses. But you start to see what we see now as a funeral procession. You have the hearse followed by all the cars going to the uh, cemetery for kind of like a graveside service. Because um, people weren't, people were living in a more metropolitan area. You know, they were leaving the family farm, leaving the family property to go live in the city. And in the city, the cemeteries and the graveyards were actually on the outside of town. So um, these were kind of long journeys for people. And you start to see restaurants <laughs> pop up beside the cemeteries because once they got done with like their graveside service, they would go into <laughs> the restaurants, what, eat very quietly. Did you say the food there go, oh. was to die for? <laughs> I hate you. <laughs> um. You knew that was coming because I made the same oh, I joke the first time we recorded this. Oh, you did. You did. Doesn't mean that I'm mentally prepared for it, but... Um, you start to see Undertaker kind of the meeting shift. Um, funeral homes and like funeral parlors start popping up. Um, these people were not having like the wakes and stuff in their home. They were going to these funeral parlors to have the service for their loved ones. And you see um, morning invitation cards be sent out. So they were white with black borders. It would tell you like who the deceased was, when the service was, and stuff like that. This is before obituaries were put into papers, is what I want to believe. Um, type thing. And then if you couldn't be there, then they sent a totally different card out. Um, and you also see, I think I put it in here somewhere. Um, a funeral stenographer. So normally this is a woman that attended the funeral and she would write down the eulogy in the sermon so if you're one of the people that could not make it to the funeral, this would be a way for you to kind of be there, but not be there. Um, flowers became a huge thing. Um, and we'll talk a little bit more. Oh, well, I guess we could talk about, we'll talk about more about photography of the dead in a minute. Um, but because photography of the dead was kind of huge, at the same time that they were photographing their corpse, they would photograph the flowers that um, people sent, which I thought was weird. Well, I think, and I said this last time we recorded this, but uh, you know that's still a thing that that's done here, you know, done in the South and all that is. Uh, like with it, well, at least with my family, is people still photograph the 
flowers and then there's always the mm-hmm. the deceased person's you know partner or their uh yeah siblings or whatever and they always take pictures with the corpse and with the flowers like that's yeah. just that's a common thing to me it's yeah. you know that's what Weird. i grew up with and i've gone to i don't know how many different viewings and funerals and stuff through my life and that's just that's a thing yeah. that happens and it's actually weird to me if that doesn't happen somewhere yeah i don't know i just think Leo agrees with me huh. oreo bark huh? oreo bark i said he agrees with me <laughs> he's barking at the dogs across the street mom they're outside and they're going to the bathroom and i can see them that's what that park is. Um, so they would photograph all the flowers. Um, and you also see professional mourners. So these people would set the mood for the funeral um, to make sure that no one did anything too over the top. But people were still doing enough, if that makes any sense. Um, they patent coffins out of everything if you can make a coffin out of it they patent it um and then you start to see um showrooms start to happen um and in back then it was very common to window shop so the that bay window that you see kind of in old u.s towns those shops with those big bay windows was to to set up like a display of what you had and for funeral homes, they had, like, miniature tombstones and obelisks and mausoleums and all the coffins. They kind of made miniatures and put them out in their shop windows to tell people, hey, this is what we have. This is what we can make type thing. Um, it was very common for people to have wakes back then or wait to be buried. Um, and this conquers, this is because of two fears. I think everyone has a weird fear of being buried alive. And then back then, there was a fear of your body getting snatched for body anatomy. Um, so to combat not being buried alive, you see all those weird um, contraptions of like the bell, the string going down to the corpse and the bell staying outside. The, um, oh, I forget who has it, but it's basically a t- um, a tunnel down to his face and it's all glass so you could see down in um, to make sure that he was dead type thing um, but it, it was very common for people to wait like two to three days before they buried their dead to kind of one make sure that they were alive um, people didn't understand what a coma was back then um, so it was very common for people to kind of wait and by waiting you kind of decrease their chance of getting snatched by the body snatchers. Um, the more that decomposition had set in, the less likely that your loved one will get snatched by the body snatchers. Because um, it's very common for families to hold visuals at the cemetery to make sure that no one took the body. Even though there was watchmen at the cemetery, the watchmen could be easily paid off to kind of look the other way. Um, type thing, because if you do not know, like Burke and Hare, you know, they killed people for 
body anatomy classes. So selling your loved one's body paid their bills, but they didn't think of it that way. Or they saw it as paying their bills. They just didn't think of it as a real person. Um, in 1666, the mayor of London um, wrote into law the six feet burial rule. So before then, it was just like a little bit of dirt and there you go. Um, this was during a plague. So to help the plague from spreading, they buried people six feet down. And to kind of combat the smell. Well, and if anyone came back as a zombie, it was harder for them to, you know, get out of the grave because most people <laughs> were, at that time were under six foot. Yes. Not enough. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think there's stories of there where they bury people upside down to kind of like prevent that. So if they woke up, they went down further into the ground, they would not go back up. Still, and there's and then like you see the cages. You know, there's like cases where they would exhume bodies, and you know, it would appear because the gums recessing that their canines yep. had grown longer, and their fingernails continued to grow. So yep. they thought that they were actually vampires. So they would like start staking people in their coffins and stuff. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, like there's a whole bunch of stories about that sort of stuff. Where in and honestly, it's just that they didn't understand how the human body decomposed it was one of those like now looking back it's like you guys are so dumb and it's like well they just didn't know any better yeah like and Laura does a couple episodes about those stories of them happening in America like the last vampire in America where they dug up the person and cut out their heart and I want to say liver burned it, fed it to a family member because of consumption. It's a whole whole weird Consumption is is eating something, not consumption is in the medical disease. Which was what they called tuberculosis back in the 1800s. Yeah, it was like Yeah. I'm talking about tuberculosis. Oh, are you? That's what I'm talking about. Yeah. Oh, okay. So yeah, Yeah, same thing then. There's, yeah, there's cases where they would dig up, cut out the Organs, burn them in the graveyard, make a weird tonk, like a tonic with it, huh. and have the family member drink the ashes and then like other stuff to help. Interesting. It was when like a whole family would wipe out. They thought like the first person that died was like the vampire. Okay. Interesting. Yeah, it's weird. Um,. Last place. Okay, so they start embalming bodies. Embalming becomes a popular thing. This is more because of the Civil War, and we'll talk about that in a minute. Um, but it was very common to preserve bodies in honey, salt, alcohol, or arsenic. Um, there's many sailors um, preserving a fellow sailor in a barrel of whiskey to make sure that his family could bury them when they got home. Sometimes they would unfortunately forget which barrel they put the body in and would drink the alcohol. But that shit tasted nasty. Um, but arterial injection embalming. Is that where Sailor Jerry's comes from? Oh, I know. <laughs> um, 
But arterial injection embalming, this is what we use today where they like push the embalming fluid through your veins. Um, started to become a popular thing during the Civil War. Um, basically, people wanted to make sure that their loved ones that died in the Civil War can make it back home. Um, but honestly, the process of embalming hasn't really changed over the years. Um, our best examples of this is the Egyptians, um, who are well known for their mummification process. And something very similar happens um, when you embalm. So, like, they peel the um, your scalp back, they take your brain out, do a whole bunch of stuff in there. They would stuff your... Then they would open your stomach up, take all your organs out. If you were Egyptian, they went into all little itty-bitty little jars. Um... But Civil War time, they just take your organs out, replace it with cotton, with a whole bunch of shit in the cotton, sew you back up, send you back home. Um, before they did the arterial, art, the artery um, injection embalming. Um, but Frederick, Dr. Frederick Rouse, um, he is basically coined as the father of embalming. Um, Dr. Thomas Holmes, he was a captain in the U.S. Army, and he was commissioned by President Lincoln to preserve the killed, wound, um, the killed Union soldiers. Um, Holmes eventually left the Army and began to offer his service to the public for as little as $100 at the time. Um, but after the Civil War, the practice of embalming kind of fell out. As little as a hundred dollars? That was a shit. A little as a hundred dollars. I know. It was. But and you have to think, like I think my grandma's urn was like fifteen hundred dollars. It was a good chunk of change. I'm I'm doing some math. My grandma's urns You need to find out how much that is. That's 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 what I'm figuring out. to recent um, inflation. What's this amount? Give, give me a minute because I'll uh, uh, yeah, give me a minute. You're You can keep talking. I'll just shout in what the <laughs> what it, the price um so after the Civil War, basically the practice of embalming kind of fell out of practice. They kind of went to their back to their old um, habits of putting bodies on ice um, and stuff. And this was mainly because of the arsenic that they used. Um, formaldehyde wasn't available yet. Um, once formaldehyde becomes available, embalming becomes more popular. Um, undertakers at the time could take a one to three day class and be certified in embalming. Um, licensing for embalming in the states didn't start till the 1930s. So um, apparently, uh, the they've only started tracking inflation as far as, according to the U.S. inflation calculator, uh, at 1913. So from 1913 to this year. 
which if anyone's listening in the distant future, that's uh, 2022, uh, that $100 would be, uh, U.S. dollars would be worth approximately $2,952.48. So nearly $3,000, or it'd be over $3,000, but over $3,000 to embalm somebody. Uh, Yeah. Curious as to what it costs now. Like, I don't know. Value. I know you have to pay to see your relatives the last time. I, I was listening to that in Caitlin Doherty's book. Um, already talked how they would do embalming. Um, basically, before formaldehyde, um, they used anything to embalm you. Zinc, lead, um... So, um, just as a note, now embalming costs about $700. Hmm. So. Interesting. Uh, it's a heck of a lot cheaper than what it would be if they kept the same prices. But still, yeah. expensive. Well, I don't know if that $100 included, like, putting them in a casket uh. and stuff. I don't know. I don't know if that is it's just embalming or if that's like the full kick boodle. Well, then the coffin. we need a time machine so we can go back and check. <laughs> time machine. I don't know if I want a time machine. Um, so, yeah. So basically they would use anything. If they could inject it into you, they would, they thought it would. <coughs> um sulfate of aluminum alumina um chloride of mercury wood vinegar sulfide of zinc carbolic acid they could get their hands on it they injected it to you um and then if you didn't want to be embalmed you start to see cremation become a popular thing um i want to say that around that time the Catholic Church saw cremation as like a no-go. Um, but this is where you start to see mourning um, items start to form. Um, they would mix the ashes of your deceased with siliconate of soda and they would make it into a paste. They would make either make this into a bust um, a portrait or a death mask or a paperweight. Um, death masks were common back then um, to have. Um, but that's mainly because poor. Don't yawn. <laughs> like... Yawning is just proof that I have a brain. <laughs> and I just have empathy, not a psychopath. Um, yeah, if you ever want to know if your fellow peeps are a psychopath, yawn in front of them, and if they don't yawn back. I don't know if that's accurate. I don't know either, but that's like the test to kind of tell. Well, I don't yawn every time like my fiance yawns. Uh, well, apparently, uh, based off studies, psychopaths are statistically more likely to drink black coffee. Okay. Yeah. So my and my grandma drank black coffee. So what is what does that say about her? 
I was like she she like, would drink it all day every day. <laughs> my grandma drank uh, decaf coffee, black decaf coffee. And, What's even uh, the point? I, I I even asked her that at one point. I was like, Grandma, there's no caffeine. In it. She's like, I just like the taste. And I'm like, okay, whatever. Eh, I'm, I'm not gonna knock it. Everyone's got their I'm own not, thing. I'm not arguing with her. Especially um, if she's a psychopath. She was not a psychopath. She was the nicest lady ever. Um, she was. She was so tiny, so cute. Um, but later in life, she switched to green tea. Jesus. And somebody bought her a Keurig one year for Christmas. Jesus. Um, so, now that we've talked about a lot of the major stuff, we're going to get into photography of the dead so you have to think Victorian era photography is just in its infancy stage so if you wanted to get your picture taken a lot of times you'd have to sit for eight plus hours and you could not move a single inch or the whole picture would be ruined so it made sense to the Victorian people at the time of hey let's photograph our dead because they're not going to move. Um, so that's where you start to see the morning portraits start to um, happen. Um, and a lot of times you also have to think a lot of people, their children didn't make it. You know, you were lucky, one, if you made it out of your childhood alive. And then two, you might be lucky if you made it to 50. Um, so this is a way for people to remember their dead. And this kind of became like a family affair. Um, it was very common for parents to have pictures with their dead child. Um, and a lot of times the child would appear asleep in bed or like the parents would hold the baby. Um, if it was an adult that passed that they were doing their photography, their photo for, um, they would, like, have them sitting in a parlor with the family enjoying, like, tea, or they'd, like, stand them up. And sometimes you can see the wires in the photo, um, because that's how they propped you up, is with wires and then other things to prop the person up. Um, but this was a way for people to get a big family photo, weirdly, um, during this time. Um... And then we'll go, we'll go into a later episode about spirit photography. Um, the most famous photo, obviously, is the picture of President Lincoln's widow, um, Mary Todd, with the spirit of her husband standing behind her. Um, but yeah, we'll go into spirit photography in a whole different episode. Um, but photographing the dead, in general, the police start to... Um, use this as a way to identify um, unknown people. Um, so the Jane and John Doe's, they use the photography, they take a picture, put it in the newspaper, of like, hey, can you help us identify this person? Because um, obviously they ain't gonna move. Um, now you got me yawning. Um, so, now we're gonna talk about morning jewelry. There's two different types of morning jewelry. Go ahead, say it. Are we going to talk about evening jewelry next? (laughs) 
I hate you. So many levels. Um, so there's two different types of morning jewelry. There's the morning jewelry that's made out of some part of your family member. And then there was the jewelry that only women could wear. Because they could only wear a certain type of jewelry during this morning phase. Quotations. Um, and some of these things we honestly kind of still do today. Um, so like when your dog passes now, you know, if you get them cremated, you know, a lot of places will take their paw print and get a little bit of their hair. Um, for you, um, when my, my dad, so before my grandma passed, my dad was the last person to see her. And he, he asked the people at the coroner's office or the funeral home, um, if they could take my grandma's footprint. And he thought this was the most bizarre request ever. Um, it's very common nowadays for people to ask for loved ones, um, deceased loved ones, fingerprints, footprints, um, type thing. Hair, I don't know about hair, um, but if your loved one's cremated, um, nowadays it's very popular to make mourning or mother's jewelry. That's what my aunts have, um. But, I mean, nowadays you can kind of get made into anything if you are cremated. Cufflinks, glass art, a vinyl record, a firework, a coral reef. And, if you're up for it, if you find a good tattoo artist, they'll mix your ashes in with tattoo ink and your loved one can get your ashes tattooed. Um, I actually have a tattoo that has my brother's ashes mixed in with the ink. So, yeah. yeah. It's possible. I was like, I got my grandma's foot tattooed um that's what i did with the footprint that my dad got um but back then um the morning jewelry made out of your loved one's hair was very common um they would braid the hair and turn that basically kind of into a lot of different jewelry um rings bracelets brooches watches earrings they would braid the hair into everything. And a lot of this jewelry was made at home. Um, there was a huge fear of sending the hair off to a jeweler to make the jewelry that you, one, would not be getting the hair of your lo loved one. Um, and it would be swapped out for something or it'd be just fake hair in general. So a lot of the women in the house would take it upon themselves to make the morning jewelry with like the hair and stuff um they would also use hair in floral arrangements which i thought was kind of interesting um but basically that's that's where we get that or yeah basically just the hair um the other type of morning jewelry that was allowed was women could only wear a certain type of jewelry like with their outfit as like an accessory during this time so um it was anything that was dark colors so jet was used a lot pearls were used a lot um 
and that was something that they would go to a jeweler for, obviously. But the other type of morning jewelry, they would make themselves. It was a way to show that they were the ideal homemaker. Um, hey, look at me. I can make my own jewelry, so therefore I can make anything. Um, it was... It was a way to represent their relationship with the deceased. Like, this was my mom type thing. Um, people add the initials of the deceased to the jewelry. Um, and I found it interesting if they added an eye. Now, I don't know if this is like an evil eye type thing. Um, if they added an eye to the jewelry, that meant that they had a spiritual experience involving the deceased um, person associated with the jewelry. So that was kind of cool. Um, it still doesn't change my view on morning jewelry. Um, it's one thing if you get your loved one turned into like a glass orb or like a vinyl record or something. Um, and it uses like all of the ashes. Um, I've said this in earlier episodes. You need to have a plan for that when you pass. Um, because I've expressed that's like my weird fear with my grandmother. Is um, what the fuck's going to happen to my aunt's morning jewelry when they pass. Um, and then the last thing that they changed was tombstones. So tombstones back then. Basic. Name. Date of birth. Date of death. That's it. That's all we got. Um, and sometimes they'd have like a saying on them. Um, during this time, you start to see the huge above ground mausoleums, the huge mos um, obelisks, the statues of guardian angels over um, graves, the statues of a sleeping lamb or sleeping child, ones with wreaths. Um, they all have different meanings, ones with trees of life. Um, but you start to see what we see as a graveyard or cemetery nowadays start to show of the huge tombstones and stuff. Cause there's a way like we want to make sure that they're remembered and the only way for them to be remembered is to have this huge ass tombstone thing. Um... I'm not going to go through all the different meanings. Um, but if you had, if there was a tombstone with a tree of life, if the branches were cut really short, that meant that their life was cut short. Um, and then you would see mourning ferns along the bottom of the tree of life. Um, if you saw the wreath, that meant they were victorious over death. Not real sure what your victorious over death is because you're dead. But, um, but a lot of these symbols are religious symbols and deal with Christianity, um, type things. Um, and also back then it was very common to go to the cemetery have a picnic at the cemetery and make sure that your one your loved one is still remembered but two their tombstone um and the tombstones in the family plots were being taken care of 
So I remember doing that as a kid, going to my great grandfather's tombstone and making sure that the weeds around it were plucked and um, the grass from where they would mow the grass was like swept off and stuff. So I remember doing that. That was like part of my childhood. Yeah, we do that as well. We go and like pick grass and stuff out of the grave. Yep. But yeah, that's all I got. That's how they changed how we grieve. We do still a lot of those. We do a lot of those things still. A lot of those things are still part of our grieving process. Modern funeral homes. Um, stuff like that. They're start. You're starting to see a, a shift kind of in the modern funeral, I think. Um, there's a lot of alternative burial things that are happening. Um, and we'll talk about death around the world I think in a different episode I think that would be an interesting topic for us to eventually talk about yeah we could do a uh, birth around the world and then do a death around the world I think that would be a cool combination uh, yeah so I our next episode that we are going to do uh, we're gonna originally our plan was for you know us to be back and forth on episodes and have some episodes where we shared uh, like both of us yeah. did it we kind of got away from that portion of it so the next episode we do is going to get getting back to that we are yeah. going to because of events and stuff and our personal lives and stuff that we're dealing with and because of life is complete shit right now in the United States and all that yep. bullshit uh, we're going to do something a little more lively and fun the next episode and we're going to be covering one of our archetypes. Uh, we're going to be talking about yeah. the trickster god. And Kelsey and I are yeah. both going to sh- share some stories with different trickster gods. And just talk about a couple of different ones. I think we're going to do like two or three each. So yeah. that will be fun. Hopefully. Yeah, we've got three picked out each. Yeah. So. Yeah, you'll get episodes kind of back to back. Because thank you, Squadcast. Or messing stuff up <laughs> yeah technical difficulties but yeah yeah if you're enjoying That's this all. please rate and review and you know share it tell, tell your, your friends. friends uh we're obviously not as polished as some other podcasts but we want to make sure you guys are getting the raw deal yep oh yeah um i haven't posted pictures for a minute but i normally do post pictures we do have facebook instagram and Twitter. It's all the Dragon's Wayward. It's backwards. No, the Wayward. The um, Dragon's Wayward is Twitter. Everything else is the Wayward Dragon. Yeah, everything else is the Wayward Dragons. I don't understand why Twitter made it backwards. I don't know. You know me and social know. media. I know. Yep. Um, if we messed anything up, or if you want to share a spooky story, or if you have an interesting story in general, you can email us at the Wayward Dragons at gmail.com that's all we got and if I missed any potential puns please let me know because <laughs> I, I would feel really bad about that And I think you got them all yeah yeah. <laughs> I think you did I think you did for sure so until yeah. next time I'm Johnny and I'm Kelsey bye bye